And now for your listening pleasure, here's Polizzi and Rose, covering the week of media, marketing, and digital content news. This old marketing. Take it away, boys. Hello, my friends. This is Robert Rose. And welcome to episode number 293 of This Old Marketing, recorded on Tuesday, October 12th at 420. I'll leave it for you to understand what that means and where we are right now, because with me, as always, is my good friend, my colleague, and certainly no friend of John Gruden, Mr. Joe Polizzi. How are you? (laughs) Well, first of all, this is just all kinds of weirdness, because we're recording this on a Tuesday, because... That's right. You have a very important presentation you need to go to when we normally record, which is fine. And it just I have to it, I have to sadly go to Las Vegas, which is one of the worst places in the world. Well, I love I hate. Going, I know you, you hate it, and I love it. Yeah, I love yeah. every part of it. Um, so there's it says a lot about us. But it is funny that it's, right now it's four twenty one. Like you did that That's right right at four twenty, which is very hard yeah. to do. You know, it only happens. It once is very a day. difficult to do. This, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Well, it actually happens twice a day, but yeah, but yes, it, indeed, the afternoon part is only once per day. But actually, if you were doing it right, it would only be four twenty in the morning because if you were using military time, for, there's only one four twenty. See what I'm saying? See how I'm going? Uh, oh, yeah. see I'm going on that. <laughs> see how that works? Have another hit off the bong, my well, friend. You know, yeah. I was, <laughs> I was. Come on now, you know I don't do that yeah. stuff. Whatever. Let's let's just stop talking. Yeah. Uh, the Gruden thing, uh, yeah. to, to totally change the subject here, what what the heck? Because, well, like, I don't know anything about it. All yeah, I did, that escalated fast, basically. All I, all I did, I saw it in the New York Times this morning in their newsletter, and yeah. I saw it in Morning Brew. And when it said he resigned because of his misogynistic comments, and I don't know what those were, but all... I do. I've I've read the articles, but so well, maybe I, you can get more. I, I certainly know what they're is, reporting. This is my on. first impression was, yeah, uh, of course. Like, if you've known <laughs> anything about John Gruden for the past X number of years, he's been pretty open about how he's felt about just about everything. So, how is this now a surprise? And educate me with with why why it must have really been bad and something new. What happened? It wasn't great. It 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 wasn't. It it certainly wasn't great. Yeah, the things that he said, you know, and in, you know, looking at them from the outside looking in, you go, you 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 understand perhaps because of exactly what you're saying. Like, I'm not surprised that he uses that kind of language and and uses and has that kind of attitude, but. What I am surprised about is the level of stupidity that, you know, that is that is here, you know, <clears throat> because you have to give some more detail he, he, because I so let's say that nobody. First of all, John Gruden is the coach yeah. of the Las Vegas Raiders. Correct. And a famous coach. He's been in the NFL for been on ESPN for years. years. Yeah, he yeah. won a Super Bowl right. when he was with uh, Tampa, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Yeah. OK. Yeah. All right. So yeah. now he's back. Pretty high-profile coach, and what does he do? Yes, he so uh, uh, during a lawsuit that was happening between uh, the the Washington Football Team, which I couldn't pick another team that this should happen to, but th- there we go. Um, 
the Washington football team, they were having some email exchanges between he and I believe the one of the executives at the Washington football team. And uh, they were having an interchange and it was a number of emails and it was two friends or friendly, you know, colleagues basically exchanging very just like personal you know, jabs over somebody else. Ve- Is that what it was? Yeah, exactly. Like he was he was expressing his his feelings toward Roger Goodell, who was the commissioner of the NFL, and called him a the uh, you know the, a, a word for the female body part. Um, and then he he really went after uh, uh, the LGBTQ community, but basically just you know he was ranting on about women referees, and then he was uh, talking about people being pressured to draft gay players and compared um, one of the, uh, I believe, the representative for the NFL Players Association. Um, He made a very, what would be considered a racist remark about that guy. I mean, he was just, he he just, he was going off. I mean, just, you know, in a very, you know, the language that he was using is just not acceptable. It's just not acceptable these days. And, and, And so... Again, it's one of those things where you look at him and you go, that doesn't surprise me that he uses that language and that he's that way. What I guess surprises me is is that in the context of what was going on in the you know, in the world that he would choose to do so in email yeah. because to me that is just and like you just you know, you're just you're just you just have to know, right? You just have to know those things. You just you can't you can't do that anymore. Yeah, but but and, it's just like but that's everything, right? It's email, it's on video, it's you it's I mean, if you if <laughs> look at I, I I do not condone anything that he does. And I think everyone here who listens to this knows how I feel in general, just about human beings. But what right. I don't understand is, and again, I don't know what happened with this, but immediately resigns. Isn't there like an escalation period where the first thing you do is apologize? I mean, if he's sorry, I don't know if he is. Well, he didn't. Yeah, he, he didn't. just said, "I'm done." I mean, he, I'm. He just was upset and he correct. left. Okay, I didn't know if he was That's canceled, right. and they said, "You're out." Because he, I'm sure he probably was. I'm sure the the resignation wasn't because he wanted to resign. The res, the resignation was, dude, we're going to fire you, so you should resign. Got it. Okay. That's the that's the conversation that happens, okay. right? I mean, it's not. <clears throat> he didn't have a choice in this matter. Let's put it that way. I mean, and so, you know, I think this is, you know, the uh, in the greater scheme of life. There are people out there who have done worse things and not resigned. Um, but I think given the sensitivity that the NFL has and to one of the commentators who talked about this on ESPN the other night, the progress that the NFL has made in issues, um, everything spanning from LGBTQ rights to uh, Black Lives Matter to you know sensitivity to all things like that. They it, there was no their their hand was Got played it. right. Yeah. And, you know you can't you can't let that go right. You just can't. There's there's just no way you can let that go. I I'm I totally get it. I totally get it. I guess I just the immediacy of you're done if you do anything wrong. Now again. 
John, I'm not a big fan, John, John Gruden fan. But again, I mean, this goes for brands too. We've talked about it on the show. It's like, yeah, if yeah. you do, if you make a mistake as a brand, like how, okay, you're, are you just, everyone's going to protest that. And what do you do? Do you, I mean, it's almost like you're walking on eggshells as a social media manager, just in case, you know, it's, it's tough. It's tough today. It is tough. It is, it is tough. And in this particular case, I don't have a lot of sympathy. No, I don't have any. I, I, I don't have any sympathy you know, for him. I just, and again, not knowing anything about it, I'm like, wow. First, first thing is he's out. It's that's yeah. that really escalated quickly. It's to you do this and you're done, and now you got to wait to the one or two year period where people forget about all that, and then you can come back. It's like a right. Isn't that what generally happens? Yeah, he'll maybe. coach again. Yeah, he'll maybe. go coach in the. Yeah, yeah. He'll be. An, he'll, or oh, he'll he, be I, I don't know about that. I or something. Yeah, I'm not sure about that. Well, I don't know. I'm it, not sure about him. Yeah. I okay. Here, let's make a bet right now. Let's do it. <laughs> I yep. I bet yep. in inside two years he is on television somewhere. Oh, I'd take that bet. Okay. I I, I thought you were going to say coaching. I I would absolutely. No, I'm going to say television first, and then he will be coach. Not inside. television. He will be if he decides to, because he might be done with it. Because you know how he goes back and forth and didn't know if he wanted to coach again. But he'll come back. Right. He'll come back in the lime limelight at some point. So I could actually see him coaching before I'd see him on TV. There's no TV network in the world that's going to touch him right now. No way. He's barstool he's, sports. He's radioactive. Barstool. Yeah, sports he is radioactive right now. No, I don't. I disagree with that. Barstool nope. Sports would pick him up tomorrow. Nope. You don't think so? Nope. I do not think so. Because that that whole that whole channel has been called misogynistic. So <laughs> right. <laughs> well, so they're, if they're yeah. le- no seriously, <laughs> they're, they're leaning into that brand yeah. and they're unapologetic about it. They, and they will. That's what they. I mean, if you go and look at how uh, Dave Portnoy says this is what barstool sports is, it offends a lot of people. I, I would be. I would be very surprised. And I would be. And very nobody surprised. in Europe right now cares about John Green. <clears throat> Are you? I'm so sorry no, for our exactly. European fans. Yeah. That we had to go into that <laughs> entire mess. Well, it's an interesting issue, though. It's an interesting issue, nonetheless. I mean, when you compare to your to your point, when you compare what's going on and how quickly it happened for John Gruden, and then you compare what Dave Chappelle is going through right now with his new Netflix special, um, where he's also run into some heat from the LGBTQ community over things he said. You know, it's interesting. It's, it's it, an well, interesting. What's interesting comparison. is, I mean, look at the two, because. Netflix has stood by him and said, we're keeping it on. And a lot of people are calling. Yeah. I mean, of course, the, there's a lot of Netflix. The, the article I wrote or I, I read said that a lot of Netflix employees were very upset that Netflix decided to run that. Um, and so you've got Netflix that says, hey, we're standing by it. We don't think it's overly offensive. And then you've got yeah. another organization, the NFL, that that. They make a quick decision and boom. I guess it's all yeah. has to do with I mean, with it's tech. different enough that I can, you know, you can see the, you know, I mean, it, it's hard to compare the two in terms of what 
the actual incident was because they're so very different. But but you know, it's like I, I, I if I'm the NFL, I totally get it. I I totally I totally understand why they you know why they had the position they did and what you know and the actions they they were going to take and and I understand why the Raiders took the actions that they took and uh, you know I I get it. It I I will agree with you that it happened you know so fast i mean you know this was a this you know the, all of this went down like on sunday i think you know and then and then monday the new york times article came out and then literally you know last night um was when when uh, when he was fired or resigned or whatever you say yep. yeah it's i mean it's it's almost uh, similar to the the kevin hart thing where all i heard was kevin hart is hosting the Oscars, and five minutes later, he's not. Yeah, right. Like, whoa, that happened quickly. So, what? Did, yeah, what? What do I know? It's, it's just interesting the two takes about the whole thing. Yep. Um, before we get started, we ha- I have to say congratulations to to your Cowboys. Uh, played a fantastic. Well, they played well enough. There's so much talent on that team, so you can play a really you know, a, a lackluster game and win. And then you've got my Cleveland Browns who on offense were almost perfection the entire game and, and lost. I think the total combined yardage was the most, uh, for sure this season, maybe the most in the last five years, over a thousand yards combined. Yeah. I mean, it was, I think the 42. score was 772 to 872 so or something. Yeah. Ridiculous. It was crazy. It was the it amount was, of, scoring that was going on it was so it would it was almost a perfect night because we were uh we were on our annual uh trip in atlantic city and uh we had all our friends there we were watching it it was a great open air bar everyone felt nice and comfortable and we watched that game and watched them lose at a browns browns backers party and well it's actually in philadelphia and um it would have been perfect it would have been a night i would have remembered forever and now i'm in disgust about the whole thing <laughs> because of that ending. Wow. That's dramatic, too. I'm still upset. It's, I haven't read an article on it. Full of drama. You know how big of a Browns fan I am. I haven't read an article. I know. I haven't seen I any any posts. Nothing. I'm just, I'm taking the rest of the week off because they, I'm just disgusted with the whole thing. That's all I got to say about it. Yeah. <laughs> Well, on that note, then we should probably move note, to the let's news talk about because some uplifting yeah, content yeah, marketing let's talk. information. <laughs> what do you got for us? You do, you're doing your Seinfeld. <laughs> just, if that's Seinfeld, content that marketing. Hor- What's the deal that's, that's, with content marketing? That's a better. That's a better one. Yeah, yeah. I don't have. Right. I don't do impressions. My impressions. I like. I'll uh, do. Where's my shoes and my glasses? You do, like I'll yeah, but you have the you have the Elmo impression Elmo. that is yeah. tops anybody's Elmo impression. I'm so, so. disgusted. This is the worst thing <laughs> ever. I hate the Browns. And now we are totally off the rails, folks. So we're going to open up with our news here. <laughs> the first story comes to us courtesy of uh, Media Post and the section of Publishing Insider that they have. Um, this one, you know, for you content marketers out there, uh, and, and, and media people out there might be a little inside baseball, but it's, it's, it's really an interesting story. The headline is Meredith's stunning reversal and what it means. And so for those of you who haven't been keeping up Meredith corporation, the publisher 
content marketing organization, you know, um, it has sold. Um, and the story opens up and says the sale of Meredith Corporation to Barry Diller's Interactive Corporation. And uh, if you remember Barry Diller's Interactive Corp, IAC, you might remember from such past headlines like Ask Jeeves and those kinds of things. Um, <laughs> oh, it's still on. around, folks. It's, it's still around. Ask Jeeves. Uh, yeah, I guess. Um, the sale of Meredith Corporation to Barry Diller's IAC, or Interactive Corp., will go down as one of the fastest and most spectacular reversals in magazine industry history. The $2.7 billion deal comes less than four years after Meredith's transformative 2018 acquisition of Time in a $2.8 billion transaction, which created the largest magazine media company in the United States and one of the largest in the world. With the IAC deal, Meredith's media brands will be rolled into IAC's Dot Dash digital publishing unit. Dot Dash CEO Neil Vogel will lead the combined company. The article then goes on to talk about how quickly uh, from 2018 the time deal came together. And as early as, or excuse me, as recently as early this year, um, the uh, Meredith folks remained bullish, basically saying, um, they were, you know, looking at selling the television stations and and doing all of those kinds of things. So this is a very fast turnaround to say what they were building was this media empire and now went, eh, not so much. Let's sell the whole thing off to uh, IAC. I mean, anything here worth paying attention to, Joe? It feels, this feels very interesting in sort of a, one of those, you know, you you look at the industry and go, this is one of those important deals that not a lot of people are going to talk about. I guess I, I have no idea. I want to hear what your take is. Here is is my take. So basically, they're calling this a big turnaround because uh, if you really look at what Meredith sold off, I mean there there's a there's a profit here on the sale. So you could say, wow, that was they you know after you know, early 2020 and all the debacles and the hurting brands, they came back. Uh, what I learned from this is there is a lot of value in old media assets. We've talked about it plenty on the show, things like Newsweek and Gawker and where where somebody could come in and, and make a big comeback uh, and do this whole thing. So that's one thing. The second thing is I think people underestimate how good a business media is, that if you have a owned audience, controlled, more controlled audience uh, from opt-in standpoint, you have some really good trust and different assets that you can monetize those assets in a ton of different ways. And, um, and you're seeing that and that's why they got some of this uh, valuation back. And the third thing is just plain old inflation. And I've said, <laughs> talked about inflation on this show many times that there's just the, the dollars just aren't worth what they were three years ago. Like you could say this is 2.7 billion, but if you take inflation, it's not that. Because uh, right, because the dollars just don't go as far as they used to. So realistically, they're ta- I think they're taking a loss if you consider inflation, uh, because we've seen a ton of asset inflation, specifically in real estate and the stock market, because everyone's uh, just printing dollars out of thin air, and so that's one reason why you have these prices. Again, we could get into a whole different show why we have so much uh, uh, inequity in between the rich and the poor. But if you're in assets. If you have any kind of assets going on for the past two or three years, you're doing pretty well, even through this whole pandemic thing, including publishers. 
and publishers have a lot of different assets and and it's and it's helped them so i have no idea if you're going to match up with anything like what i just said but i'm curious to see what your take is off of this you know here's the thing i think what it says to me is that there was a so meredith is one of the classics right a classic magazine conglomerate um and after they you know and we covered it on the show when they divested themselves of time very famously to of course mark benioff at salesforce um they've divested themselves of fortune magazine they've divested themselves of sports illustrated all of which we covered yep. on this show when they sort of sold those pieces off and you know that was basically you know let's call it 200 300 almost 500 million dollars worth of uh of of selling right so to your point you know they flipped the house basically you know they they got those magazines they shaped them up they they got them in order and then they sold them off and made some money on those which by the way is a model that has worked for hundreds of years in media so exactly and 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 meredith has been good at that right in terms of you know bringing in things and you know fixing them up it was a you know fixing them up and and then away they go and then they sort of kept that, you know, their core sort of, you know, the magazines and publications that they they did. My my take on this is that at some level there was somebody at the, you know, uh, Hardy maybe, you know, who is the CEO there, said, ah, I'm not confident about the future of magazines and the publications we have, right? So it's... You know, it's the literally anything's for sale at the right price. And I think at some point somebody looked out there and said, huh, $2.7 billion? It's maybe as good as it's going to get for the next 10 years, and I'm not that confident. And quite frankly, all we're doing here is, you know, we're getting a bunch of money and we're cashing out our chips at the table. And now we're going to go play, you know, we're all still going to have jobs and we're all still going to go do the thing and we're all going to go play with dad's money. We're all going to go play with Barry Diller's money now. And, and, and we take all the risk off the table. And so, because the operations won't really change, not with an acquisition of that size, certainly for years, the, yeah. the operations and the strategy won't change. I mean, they may divest themselves of a couple of properties, but the, 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 the material changes are not going to really happen. I mean, in fact, they, they actually say it. We don't expect any material changes, right? So, you know, that's, everything stays the same except you get money and you get, you know, it's the guaranteed money versus the theoretical money. And I think to your point, at, you know, when we look at inflation and where those things go, they, they, they looked at it and said $2.7 billion is better than $3 billion next year, maybe. And so we're going to take it. I think it's, I think it's a pure it's a pure cash out play. It's it's just you know we're 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 cashing in our chips at the table, and we're gonna you know and we're gonna play on winnings. Yeah, we. I remember when I was at Penton Media. This is back in two thousand six, when we went from man, we're in real trouble. We're way in debt, and we had a whole new team come in and and fix it up. You know, we get let a lot of people go. We got to a point and said, all right, we got an offer on the table. Uh, do we want to wait another year and get it, uh, tweak it right. a little bit more, or do we sell and they sold? So, it, yeah, I think yeah. you're right. They got to that point and said, okay, well, at this point, you're you, you, you just don't look a gift horse in the mouth, right? You just go ahead and go for and it. That's, and that's 
and that's why I think it's worth covering, right? Because you know, the, you know, the, other than the observational sport that you and I are sitting on the sidelines and going, "Ooh, what did they do here? And why did they do that?" And and maybe the audience is going, I, "You know, this doesn't have anything to do with my life." at all. I think it does. Because to me, when I look at a deal like this and I go, what it makes me think is, okay, what do they believe about the media economy that we don't believe or that we do believe, right? Because they made a big and important decision based on something they are seeing in the pipeline or something they're seeing in the future that gave them pause to say, Now's the time to cash out. So they're literally looking at the same dealer of cards that we are, and they're seeing something different. Now, you may believe that they're dopey, and they just decided, yeah, we're going to take the money and run. And you go, good for them. Good, you know, it doesn't change my view of the world at all. But deals like this always makes me go, what did they see? Like, what what did they actually look at that made them make this decision? And, and it makes me start to look at the trends and, and sort of, you know, uncover some of the things that aren't getting as wide covered and going, what, what's going on here underneath the covers? I don't know. Maybe it has something to do with NFTs. <laughs> <laughs> you knew it was coming. You knew it was coming. Oh, my God. Well, we are actually going to talk yeah, about that, I, which is... I, I, it yeah. probably oh does, my God. by the way, because... I mean, yeah. honestly, if you're looking at it, does it, not. No, no, it no. does not it, have it. It, it absolutely will. Again, so John Gruden is going to be on television oh in two God. years, and <laughs> Meredith talking is going NFTs, to be hawking, uh, <laughs> NFTs, like you would not believe, is going to be the largest. No, John largest, Gruden is going to be hawking largest NFTs. Revenue yeah. line, the N, the F, the T. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that's 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 Joe Polizzi's new rap album, ladies and gentlemen. The N to the F to the T. Oh my God! All right, that's we're like going to move on. Oh, that's fantastic! There it is. Okay, there we go. Next story is one that comes straight out of uh, Joe Polizzi's backyard, which the headline is: Content Creator Economy, or the Creator Economy more broadly, is failing to spread the wealth. This uh, comes courtesy of Axios. And the article opens up by saying the creator economy was supposed to democratize media. No, it wasn't, but that's all right. Let's go ahead. Uh, The creator economy was supposed to democratize media, but it turns out that a small portion of creators still reap the most revenue for their work across multiple platforms. Why does it matter, they say? Well, new tipping and micropayments features will hopefully make it easier for smaller creators to get paid. But for now, much of the creator economy is still supported by pricier subscriptions, forcing consumers to be selective. Data revealed as part of a massive Twitch hack last week that found this uh, the, the top 1% of all streamers earn more than half of all revenue on the platform per the Wall Street Journal. And then uh, the article goes on to talk about video. While a handful of creators have made substantial money, the vast majority of earners on Twitch have made less than $120 this year, per the report. Newsletters, the top 10 publications on Substack, collectively make more than $20 million a year in subscription revenue, while the less popular newsletters typically make tens of thousands annually. Podcasts, the top 1% of podcast earners make the vast majority of podcast ad revenue. Social, a report from TechCrunch last month found that Twitter's new super followers allows people to tip their favorite creators 
only brought in $6,000 in its first two weeks. Uh, basically, the article concludes that what's happening now with the creator economy mirrors all of the previous waves of digital media economies built before it, blogging, websites, etc. Uh, and what say you, Mr. Pulitzi, about all of this? Well, honestly, if I'm going to be honest, because I've been holding back this episode. <laughs> yeah, please honest, do be honest. My, yeah, My degree of loathing of this article is an 11. Uh, exactly. Um, I don't... Uh, how did this make it through editorial? All right, here's my take on it. First of all, if you look at any uh, business in the, the capitalist world... This is how it works. You have the 80-20 rule. You have a lo- you have small number of companies that that generate 80% of the revenue and the rest generate 20. That's uh, it's almost every industry that I know of. So why is it supposed to uh have you know the creator economy supposed to have some capitalist socialist model? I don't know. It, 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 I, you tell me. Is it supposed to be different? Like when your your point was the creator economy was supposed to democratize media no i I don't i don't think that was a thing i don't think it's ever been a thing it's just because we can all create content that means we all should develop equal revenue streams all the way so okay anyways i'm done with that that's number one number two what this is and i've said this many times and and listeners are, are going to totally get get the same thing but the creator economy is not the third party social media platform economy and everything in here when we talk about content creators content entrepreneurs and you and i have talked forever about building first party data assets about moving from rented land to more controlled opportunities things where you can actually build assets since and possibly generate revenue and sell over a period of time whatever it is everything they talk about was youtube and twitch and podcasts on apple and twitter super followers everything on here is somebody else's platform so here's the thing when you have a creator that's trying to build an audience and try to monetize on a third-party platform, these are the ones, for the most part, that don't have a decent business model. You can get, of course, you get big social influencers at the top. They're making lots of money. They got lots of, and, and so Twitch and YouTube, they love those. But the majority of content entrepreneurs are doing things like creating their own email newsletters. They're creating their own video channels. They're creating their own membership websites. They're creating assets, just like Meredith did for the $2.7 billion sale. Same thing. So that's what I don't get. Maybe you can explain it to me, Robert, about every creator economy, especially from Axios. Every creator economy article is not my idea of what the creator economy is. It always goes to platform. Why? Yeah, I, I don't know why. Um, I can't answer I that question for you. I was hoping you um, had the answer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was so hoping. I even wrote it down. I said, I think Robert might have the answer for why they do this. Maybe You are always wrong in that assumption. John, you are always we get, wrong Maybe John assumption. Gruden yeah. has the answer. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, you know, when I look at this, I go, you know, the the opening line here, and I paused on it for, on purpose, you know, the creator economy was supposed to democratize media. No, it's the exact other way around. Um, democratized media created the creator economy. So, um, and that, the fascinating thing about this article and why it annoys me so much um, is that 
I can just as easily turn this data around and tell a completely different Ooh, story. What would that be? Right? Wow. You know what I mean? It's like I can say 1% of all of the Twitch streamers, right? That's a large number, by the way. That's a large number of, 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 of streamers on Twitch would be 1% made, uh, you know, half of all of the revenue. Yeah, you, that could, In that other could words, be something like... 5,000 Twitch streamers made $1 million correct. each or something like that, right? That's correct. That's correct. That's correct. That is exactly right, which is an incredible number. You know, you know, top 10 publications, 10, you know, 10 newsletter making $20 million a year in subscription revenues. That's the, that's the establishment of, you know, $2 million uh, of a year of revenue for 10 new startup businesses, um, tens of thousands of year annually for less popular newsletters. That's, you know, that's a good side business for many businesses these days. 1% of podcasts. I mean, I don't even know what that number is, but it's in the tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, um, making the, the vast majority. In other words, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of business are being enabled with yeah. this new or, or, yeah, you could, platform, you could say, these new yeah, platforms. That's a great point. I didn't think about that. You could say the fastest growing area of entrepreneurship in North America are content creators. That's correct. Exactly. So it's just the exact opposite of what they're, what they're saying here, which is, that's you know, good. Because if you, it's of course it's going to be by design. It's going to be a small number, right? That it can't be a big number because if it was a big number, there wouldn't be enough audience to go make it monetized. And of course, it's going to be that. But if you look past, if you look pre-digital, let's say pre this creator economy or pre-digital, even the number of media companies you know that were making money off of this, you could probably count you know, using a couple of dozen eggs, right? I mean, it's literally a very small number of companies were making money here. What the creator economy has done is enable a broad swath, yes, a small percentage of the total, but a broad swath of the public to now create entrepreneurship and actually create economic opportunity. And that is a, that's the story. And so to me, looking at it as it hasn't spread the wealth yet, it's not designed to do that. No, no, no capitalist program is designed to spread the wealth. It's designed to focus the wealth in the innovative and the ones who can actually build a differentiating business. So, uh, you know, I think it, uh, to me, this is a this is a uh, this is good news. Right. This is this is good to me. When I see these numbers, I go, "This that's interesting. That's 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 opportunity. That's a place where I can go because the walls to get there are much lower." Right. In other words, if the story was top one percent of podcast earners make the vast majority of podcast ad revenue, um, et cetera, et cetera, and the reason that is is because big media companies have the, you know, the monopoly on the technology to actually make it work. Well, then I go, okay, yeah, that's a problem. But what it is, is that the, you know, we can all, you and I on this show, we could get there. We just haven't yet. We just, you know, we just haven't gotten there yet. There's nothing preventing us from getting there. It's just, we haven't gotten there yet. And so the opportunity is there for everyone. It is democratized. The media is democratized. It's just democracy the way it works is that you, the audience speaks with their votes and their dollars and elects those who they want to listen to. And that's, it's, that's all you can ask for. 
That's all yeah, I did, that's, that's good. I didn't look at it that way. So you're basically saying the article could say that more content creators are making money from the creator economy than ever before. Right now. That's right. Because of all these great that's opportunities. It. And you know what? And they're all, and if you look at the distribution of wealth, if you will, into these platforms, it looks pretty similar to every other industry that's out there. Retail, that's restaurants, right. so forth, right? That's pretty much it. Yeah. Yep. You know, it's like those research reports you always see in the news. You know, they, they, I see this all the time. It makes me, you know, you know, <laughs> to use the Family Guy reference, you know, it, it really grinds my gears when you see those, you know, research reports that say, you know, 36% of the people disapprove of the job that, you know, they're doing. Right. And so 64% approve. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, why do you, you know, showing the numbers in a particular negative, way negative with a particular cells, angle is just, you know, exactly, exactly. Negative cells. I like exactly your positive right. take on this, though. I, I, yeah. I like that. I wish it would have been that way instead of. Now, I looked at it, of course, with my bias. I look at it immediately and say, well, I just had a, you know, I just had a conversation today with 30 content creators and most of them are making really good livings, but they're not doing it on social media platforms, but they're all in part of the creator economy. It's that's just, right. they're, they're just, that's they're just right. building different, a- they're building assets that they control. Well, so I, that's where I looked at that's it. That's the other like, thing. Boom, what's the. Yeah. And that's the other thing about this article that's so annoying that you, you make a great point on, which is, you know. Tipping and micropayments, that's not the future. Tipping and micropayments is, is you know, when, that, when it says, well, hopefully make it easier for smaller creators to get paid, but for now the creator economy Nobody's is still supported by money. pricier yeah, subscriptions. That's not a good business that means, model. no, no, no. It, the way that sentence should read is pricier subscriptions will become enabled by tipping okay. and micropayments. There that's, you go. that's what, you know, that's the, that's the, that's the whole groove here, right? That's the whole, you know, it, it's not just taking the reservation, Jerry, it's holding the reservation. <laughs> it's the, that's the whole point of the reservation. <laughs> yeah. This is the Jerry Seinfeld if you give away, Yeah. If you give yeah. away the reservation, it's <laughs> right. not a reservation. What's the deal? (laughs) (laughs) All right. Let's move on to our next story here, which is, interestingly enough, a nice segue here, almost as if we designed the layout of these stories. Um, And this comes courtesy of Protocol, which the headline says, stream it. You've been been reading a lot of Protocol. Yeah. Protocol's great. Um, Stream it. Own it. DJ Justin Blau sees music's future in crypto. So I know some of you like tire of the NFT conversation, no, but this has everything to do with content and all of that. Stop. I know some people do, Stop some people projecting. don't. We, we saw on Twitter. We no, see the, some. I know. All right. Fine. Okay. okay, go ahead. All right. The article <laughs> opens up by saying Justin Blau, and I had to be introduced to Justin Blau, by the way. I did not know Justin Blau, but I got introduced at, in researching this story, uh, was hanging out with the Winklevoss twins, which immediately puts him about two levels down in my book. But all right, oh, we're going to go ahead and go with that. You don't know. Yeah. Not Bitcoin a fan of the Winklevosses. Man. It got to be Have you read that book? I, I know. I, yes. You didn't like Bitcoin Billionaires? It wasn't a good follow up to I, the social network book. <clears throat> You know, I, I, all I can think of is Arnie Hammer in the social network is, is all I can have when I think Winklevoss twins. I can't wait till this movie comes anyway, out. Anyway. Okay, 
<laughs> Justin Blau was hanging out with the Winklevoss twins, which is never a good way to open up an article, but it does, in Mexico in 2014, as one does when one is a world-famous DJ and producer who turned down a career on Wall Street to pursue music. That's when he got hooked on Bitcoin, it says. I was super excited, Blau told Protocol. I just bought some and kind of put it away. Blau, also known by his stage name Blau, which is with a three, not a B, um, which is kind of the web 3.0 of the web 2.0, no vowels in your name kind of thing. (laughs) Anyway, um, he was intrigued by the promise of blockchain technology, and that led to Royal a music marketplace that plans to sell music rights as NFTs founded by Blau and entrepreneur J.D. Ross. Royal, which Blau and Ross uh, plan to formally launch later this month, will let users buy shares of a song and earn royalties based on the popularity of the music. That's an interesting use case. I have to be honest. That's an interesting use case here. As the song becomes more popular and the song begins to generate more income, you actually have a right to those royalty streams as the owner of the asset. What happens if an artist reneges on that agreement? Well, just like in the traditional music world, there could be legal consequences, says Blau. In an interview with Protocol, Blau talked about his journey from musician to entrepreneur, why he turned down a job from BlackRock to pursue music, and how he's exploring new ways for musicians to make money from their work in collaboration with their fans. This is a fascinating, the article goes on to then go through the interview and actually interview Blau about this new venture that he's on. I think this is an interesting idea. I, you know, this is where blockchain technology separates itself from NFTs, um, and I think it's a really interesting use this case. What say? I'm, I, I'm assuming you're yeah, for this, this is, and you're this you're is an NFT. Feeling pretty this good. This is an NFT. There's no difference. You're, it's a smart contract. You're using technology to just do things better. So there's no difference. You can the content creator, in this case, the musician, can set up the smart contract however they want. What I love about it is is that, and you know this better than anyone because you grew up in and around music, you'll know that the the creator, the musician, uh, by the time the money gets to the musician, about 80% of all the revenues are gone to the producers and the record, de- record uh, company and the locations and everything. And by the end, it's like there's a little bit left over to the musician. What's great now is, and this, I love how he puts it in this. He says, look, think of it don't think of it as an nft he's like instead of doing a deal with a record company i'm doing a deal with fans the fans are supporting me the fans get the rights the fans can sell and resell get royalties and all those because it's made available on this new technology we don't even need to say crypto we don't even need to say blockchain it's just on a public general ledger so if you want to know who owns it there it is everyone can look at it we all see it right we all see it and uh, and I love this idea. Uh, Blau is uh, he's been trailblazing here for the last year in this area. I think that him putting something together for musicians is great. I think you're going to see you've already seen things obviously for artists. Open Sea, Super Rare, those are already there. There wasn't really anything that I know of for musicians. So this is great because what I love about it is you don't need a huge audience. You just need a loyal audience of people that are willing to support you and you can tokenize anything. I mean, you're, you're, and it's funny because we get into these whole discussions of, is it an NFT and this is, you know, bad marketing and you've got the blockchain, but really all you're talking about is you're, you're, it's the tokenization of everything. That's what we're seeing in the next, going to see in the next few years. So you can take a song, you can tokenize it, 
You can dole out those tokens to fans. Fans can then get the rights and ownership to those. They can resell them or they can get royalties off of them. They can do all kinds of things. And every time it's resold and every time there's more uh, more attention to those songs, the original creator gets paid. <clears throat> and I love that. That's what I love about OpenSea, too, because if you're an artist and somebody buys your art, that's great. You get paid. You get paid a big number, more than going throughout an art house or anything like that. And then if they resell it, you get paid again. You get paid whatever you set it up as. And I, I love this, and I think that you're going to see this in every industry over the next five years, and hopefully all those middle people that are taking little bits and pieces off of, the, in this case, the musician's business model, will, will need to go somewhere else. So do something else. Well... It's going to take well, a long time. Let's, <laughs> yeah, you know, so it's a little more complicated than that. Um, and so, I mean, what I don't see in this article is actual ownership, right? So, you know, and maybe this will come to pass. But what I don't see here is so typically when you have a song that gets published, right? So any published work, a song that gets published, you have publishing rights, you have performing rights, uh, and you have writer rights, right? So in other words, you get you get money, you get a share of the money if you wrote the song and you're the original composer of it, you get um, you get a, a rights to, to do that, to perform that song, and you get money for performing it if you're the artist that performs it. And then there's the publishing, who, ha- who owns the actual publishing mm-hmm. rights on the song. And so, <clears throat> There's, that's ownership, right? That's copyright. That's where I have control over what happens to this song. And, and we've talked about on this show and has been made in tons of headlines. The great, you know, the most recent example of this is that uh, Taylor Swift, for example, is redoing all of her music, all of her old albums. And for the reason that when she was young, when she started out, the record company that had the publishing rights, basically having the, the rights to be able to you know, license it for car commercials or whatever, basically uh, was sold, that, lot, that catalog of music was sold to Scooter Braun, who, Scooter Braun, a you know, famous music executive who's a producer, et cetera, on and on, and they were planning on, you know, basically, you know, monetizing it in a number of ways, and and Taylor Swift didn't like that, so she's going to combat that by basically redoing all of her music, right, and basically making that the original version. And so, there's an interesting idea here of ownership versus having a share and getting paid for one of those things, which is what I think they're really talking about here, right? So when I talk about royalty, they say, hey, listen. Buy a part of the publishing rights, maybe um, buy a you know a share in that. It'll be interesting to see what happens there because as we're starting to see even now with tokenization, you've got people coming in and sort of throwing their weight around, right? So in other words, if Justin Timberlake or you know Imagine Dragons or something like that offers up this you know to the marketplace, you know big investors will go in and you know you'll have one person control the majority quote unquote shares do they get decision making power with that do they do they get to determine where those things go as shareholders that's an interesting and very weird and legal conversation that has to be had at some point because it's not just who gets paid 
It's who has control to make decisions on how they get paid. Do I license this content out to get to be a, to appear in a commercial? Do I license this content out to be used in a movie? Do I license this for Donald Trump to be able to run at one of his rallies and allow him to do that? All of those things have to be taken into consideration. If it's in as the well. smart contract, so, there, the answer is yes. yes. I'll give you an example of um, of a, a JPEG NFT, the kind that you don't like. So I'm in, I'm in a I'm in a, a community called the Crypto Dads. So I've got my little, and you know that's my little. Uh, uh, my yeah. profile picture yeah, avatar is now. my crypto dad. Yep. I love my crypto dad. So basically, the way they set that up is is I bought the rights to that image, uh, and I own that image. And if they end up using that image in something else of theirs, uh, they have to ultimately I I get license I have to license it to back to them if they want to do that. That's from what I've been reading. That's it. So. I get, I own that. I can, I can republish it. I can make T-shirts of it. I can do all kinds of stuff with that one image. If you make a T-shirt out of it, do you have to pay? No, that? I already paid it. I own the rights. I can do it right now. So I can a, set up a. So it's literally a work for hire, right? They, they, they basically you bought all of the rights to as that. As far image as yes, when you as, bought, as when you far buy as the I've NFT. looked at the the agreement on that, because yes. that's different than most of them. That's different than most of them. Like did most of the NFTs that you buy out there. Do not contain that. That you do not have the ownership rights of those things. That would be an exception. Oh, well, I, I don't know. I'm just saying that's that's what I'm saying is yeah. it, it can go into the agreement. All things are possible, just like any agreement. I mean, all, we're not talking about uh, anything that can't be done in a formal written agreement. All you're saying is you're just taking that and you're putting it on a public ledger that people can read it and say, oh, there it is. And then it automatically happens because everyone's wallet's hooked up. And when there is an action that they that the uh, the algorithm has to go ahead and do because somebody sold something or somebody licensed something, they get paid or they don't. Yeah, but it's, again, it's a little more complicated than that because it takes, you know, there are there are what you can do and what transactions occur that are triggered well, by Well, okay, NFT, so here, I mean, right? here's, here's yeah. another one. Yeah. Have you ever been to Mirror, Mirror XYZ? Okay. Yeah, of course. Well, you know, in Mirror XYZ, you can set it up. If there's multiple writers on that platform, they set it up right at the bottom. Who gets what percentage when that thing, with that when one article is sold? On that platform. Yes. That's what I'm saying. That's how that yes. contract is set up. I agree. So uh, I'm not disputing that. The, 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 the difference is the, the, the complexity comes in is when we start making deals or we start creating transactions that are allowed by the contract but not governed by the contract. And that's, that's where it gets a little more complex. So in other words, if you want, for example... And, and I, this may or may not be the case with your with your crypto dad, right? Which is let's decide. Let's say that you decide you're going to make a movie, you're going to make a new cartoon on television, and you're going to call it Crypto Dads, and you're only going to feature your crypto dad. Is, is, no, can I do can't that? do that. I only own the image. Why not? I don't own the name. I own that image. You, you own right. So can you can you make a cartoon out of that and call it you know Crypto Pops? Maybe. I don't know, right? So the point being, you may or may not, but it's something that will have to be addressed by something other than the smart contract, or it will have to be updated in the smart contract. That's when you start talking about music licensing and music uh, ownership, 
those publishing rights, those performance rights, and those uh, original writer rights all have to be written into the in, into the idea. There's it's it's just two different things, right? One is getting paid when transactions happen. Totally yeah. get that. Love this technology for that. Then there's ownership and usage of the media or the content and how and what permissions I have to do that. So I no, thing. I understand that. It's just a different thing. And royalty maybe you know, this new company that this guy is going to set up may have already considered that or quite frankly, they may just be the new version, you know, this 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 to me is what replaces ASCAP or BMI. Right? So ASCAP and BMI are the two music organizations right now that pay me. So for example, my my music that is used <laughs> funny enough, uh, ironically music, enough, like the, on, the the theme song for this show on Jersey Shore. Yeah, I did a Jersey Shore, right? So so I, I there's one episode of Jersey Shore that my music is used pretty heavily in. And um and I don't know which one for those of you who are asking right now. I I can't remember, but I get about you know, I get, you know, two or three bucks every month in a BMI statement that comes to me and it, the money goes right into my account. They have my, you know, they ACH it right in. And so I see, oh, $2 went in this month because that Jersey Shore episode ran in Spain, you know? And so that is who governs that. This is a great solution for that because that's an inefficient, horrible, legacy dated process for how that money gets transferred. This is a great solution for that. It's not a great solution for music ownership, I don't think. Well, I don't know. You know more about it than I do. Yeah. But I, I guess what I'm saying is is that you don't have to, if it if you make it public, that's what I love about this technology, you make it, everyone can see what the rules are. Instead of, hey, oh, where's the contract? Who's yeah. got the contract? Where's those emails? Whatever. It's like, no, here it is. It's written right here. I can go see it yeah. right now. Here's the things we can automate. Here's the things we can't where we might need a lawyer to look at it. Yeah. Because somebody's That's, using it. There's malfeasance yeah. somewhere. You can't yeah. I totally I totally <laughs> understand that. Yeah. And 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 let's be clear, in the music business, there's a lot of malfeasance <laughs> everywhere. There's a lot there's a lot of, you know, what not shenanigans going on. No, so, I, I totally yeah. get that. I guess what exciting you know, we can talk about this stuff forever it's exciting, it's exciting to it's me a, no it's exciting i don't i don't want to i don't want to i don't want to deprecate it too much it's it's it is really exciting and it's a very interesting actual use case for the blockchain in arts and content and media and i i'm all for it it's just it's a little more complicated than this article makes it sound you're probably yes yeah, you're probably correct about that but i think that that's where i be- no no i'm not probably correct i'm, you're, I'm definitely you're, you're correct probably <laughs> I'll give you the music thing. Anything music related, I'll lean to you because I don't know. I mean, I don't make $2 a quarter from my music on Jersey Shore. So I can't say for sure. But the other one I have is Basketball Wives. Have you ever seen that show? I've never seen the show, but I now understand that there's a a show called Basketball Wives. If if that was me, honestly, I would know the exact show. I would have watched it. I would have shared it with friends. I've never seen it. I've never seen it. Yeah, I've never I, yeah, seen the I episode of be more Basketball Wives or just saying, ah, whatever. I'll take. I do not need to see an episode of Jersey Shore <laughs> to appreciate my two dollars per month. I'll tell you what, though. I got. I, I wrap this up in a positive way. I've never been more yeah. excited about all these new business models. I just think it, for for it's content cool. creation, yeah. it is the it is the gold rush days right now. 
This is fantastic. It's almost as we could write an article for Axios talking about the opportunity for the content creator economy. I want to rewrite how that. It's going to I might be. rewrite that article. <laughs> I might rewrite the whole thing. Yeah. And, and just say, and, and just do the opposite. And send it to them, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. All right, ladies and gentlemen, very quickly, we are going to move to your favorite and empirically proven favorite part of the show, which, of course, is our rants and rave section where Joe and I go off in a little bit of a rant or a little bit of a rave over something that makes us feel like John Gruden or makes us feel like John Gruden. I don't know. I, I'm, I'm, I have no idea where to go with that. But um, do go, you want to go first I'll or go shall first. I go first? I don't Mine's, have an article. Okay, you go either. first. By you the way, first. you can't say yeah. favorite and empirically proven favorite. It's like you're shoving it in my face that... That's right. I am. I'm doing exactly <laughs> that. Do All right. I'm doing exactly so, that. Yeah. So we had, yeah. we had a great time. Got? And I know what's funny is when I told people I was going to Atlantic City, I had a few texts and people said, Atlantic City? Question mark? Like, is that still a thing? And I said, yes. And by the way, the weather was beautiful. I loved it. I would, I would absolutely go back. Uh, to your point, you were concerned about my welfare. You thought it was a little dangerous. But, you know, like any city, you just have to watch your step, but you'll be fine. That's said. I suppose so, yeah. yeah. Uh, we were walking down the uh, boardwalk. My wife was so excited because, and we, we knew this was there, but we didn't know exactly where. Right next to the Hard Rock Casino, there's a place called Sugar Factory. Have you ever seen the Sugar Factory? Do you know this I is a thing? I think so. I okay. don't know. So this, this is, is Sugar Factory. I didn't know it was a thing thing until i looked up like what do you do on the boardwalk in atlantic <laughs> city so basically it's almost like uh you know like when you see a rainforest cafe where you're like is this a real restaurant like is this but it, it's all it's so colorful and you go in and you look at the menu and the first 40 things on the menu they're all drinks they're all alcoholic they're in these big huge fish bowl glasses and they cost 39 dollars a piece and of course, I thought immediately of Pulp Fiction. It's like, is it like you know, you do John Travolta? It's like, is that really an eight? What is it, an eight dollar milkshake? It's like, what's <laughs> what's there bourbon in this? Right? Is it what? Is this a thing? But uh, we went through, and we were all a little suspect. Like, is you know, whatever. And everyone was so excited because everything has sugar in it. So if you want a burger, you're getting a burger with pancakes on top of it. If you want a drink, there's gummy bears in it. There's a, there was a kid uh, across the way from us that had some kind of a milkshake in a mug. And the mug on the outside was, had, was basically chocolate cake. The mug was chocolate cake, and it had candies shoved into the side of the chocolate cake. And then inside oh of the God. mug was some kind of chocolate milkshake with Oreos and peanut butter and all kinds of stuff in it. I mean, it will kill you. Um, and I thought it was the most fantastic thing ever. And what was great is uh, Pam and I, my wife, we shared a drink. It was some strawberry monster drink or something. And it comes in this big, huge fishbowl. They fill it with ice, and there's something at the bottom. We're like, what is that? Is that just sugar? They come over. It's just a big thing. I took a video of it because they make a big spectacle, and they pour it in. And then, of course, it starts smoking, and it smokes the entire time. And you're like, oh, my God, this is amazing. And it is of course, as sugary as you could possibly imagine a drink to be. Nice. And nice. what I loved about this, and I'll probably put it in the newsletter next week, but I, I love the all-in uh, mentality here about with the brand, and I think that that's what more 
content creators need to do. Like, really go into something. Like, that is, like, if you're going to go all the way in, like Justin Blau is, and your you're music NFTs, you're all the way, right? That's you. Right. Instead of just covering a little bit here and there and saying, oh, we cover this and that. Like, I love the fact that they went in and these types of places. Like, how do you get $40 for a drink? We were talking about them. Like, there's can't be more than 2 $3 worth of product in here. That's a great margin for a plate. Well, how do you do that? Oh, my god! Because gosh, yeah. you just lean into this thing called sugar. And they went all the way. Yeah. And I guess I learned that, uh, you know, there's such an opportunity for anyone in content creation if you just focus on one area and you become the best in the world at it. It's the tilt. It. They have their tilt. That's it. They I have was their so tilt. excited. I really Wait. wasn't at first because uh, if, I think you know, like if I have a donut in the morning, I get lightheaded. I got to take a yeah. nap in 30 minutes. But I'm like, I, I was like, no, I'm in it to win it. Let's have this thing. And in it, it was everything, it. everything I dreamed it would be. So, yeah. What's that? You used to cover, and I think you even cover it in the new version of the book, Ann yeah. Reardon, yeah. Who, who does the, who leaned into impossible another dessert, dessert thing, right? It was like the impossible, impossible. desserts. You'd that was never it. Yeah. think. It was, it's, just, it's the exact same thing. It's like if you went into a place and there's all these impossible, like a five pound Snickers bar unbelievable right and it's the same type of thing so i just i thought it was a great reminder and by the way if you ever stop by sugar factory go for it don't get the small drinks don't be cheap go all the way go get your 39 dollars thing on (laughs) (laughs) treat yourself treat yourself i've never i mean i'm sure i've been into places where people were happier But it's hard to think yeah. of people laughing and giggling, and they were everyone was people watching, and Aww, and it was nice. it was really incredible how happy everyone was. And of course, I mean, if you're if you're eating sprinkles, how do you not how be happy? How can you not be that, happy right? when you're eating and drinking sprinkles? I mean, sprinkles. exactly. Go ahead. What do you got? Well, I have the opposite <laughs> of that. <laughs> you have no sprinkles and no the pub. Op- well, the funny thing is, is that there's a nice weird. Uh, tie in here, poetic tie in here, but but it's the op. It literally is the opposite of what you just talked about. Um, the article that we'll link to in the show notes is from uh, the Wall Street Journal, and specifically the CMO Today section of the Wall Street Journal, which is of course a native advertising, uh, um, basically section sponsored by, by the Deloitte way, it's Consulting. A shame. I'm sorry, it just doesn't feel right to me. But whatever, go ahead. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, it's I get why they do it, and they do, yeah, I guess they do a nice job of it, but in any event, the article that's here uh, is the future of advertising in a cookie-less world. You get it? See how uh, I yes. tied that together with your very, thing? Very, yeah, okay. nice. So the article, I, I guess it's a rant. So I'm going to start this pretty much regularly when I just rant about you know, I mean, I started at whatever it was a couple of weeks ago when I was ranting about Ad Week and Ad Age just refusing to say the word content marketing. This article, and I, and and to be fair, I have not listened to the podcast episode yet that this references. So I maybe they say it in the podcast, and I haven't gotten there yet. I will listen to the podcast to see. <clears throat> The whole article is basically a rundown of this episode of the Deloitte uh, CMO podcast episode that speaks to this idea, the future of advertising in a cookie-less world. So, so far, I'm like, oh, content marketing platform. They're reusing some content, um, you know, in their thought leadership. And I'm like, 
fantastic. I, I fully agree with their process. So I have no quibble with their strategy at all here. Um, this is repackaged you know, from the podcast, and it's basically an article covering the episode of the podcast. However, the article starts out by saying, as third-party tracking and data is phased out, marketers should adopt new technologies, processes, and skills to acquire and retain customers. Deloitte leaders share their strategies for CMOs. The entire article, and it's probably 800 words, <clears throat> basically says the following, the, the, uh, and it's just summed up in the first paragraph. The first paragraph is, for more than two decades, marketers have relied on third-party cookies, snippets of code that track users' data, blah, blah, blah. Cookies give marketers an effective and efficient way to acquire and retain customers. Customer, and then, And then basically every paragraph after that says, consumers have really a lot more power these days and marketers need to change their strategies around the way they do advertising. They should get some new technology. Next paragraph, you know, the new technology that marketers need to get will be really important because they're going to have to manage advertising in a different way. Next paragraph, new strategies that go beyond advertising and create content for consumers in a new paid, earned, and shared way will have to actually come to pass. The entire ad tech ecosystem is going to be built on something different. It's going to be built on a different approach. Oh, there's going to be another challenge to get first-party data, which is so important for brands to get in terms of first-party data, they'll have to change their approach to marketing in a fundamental way. It's like they go out of their way to, it's like, it's like somebody went, okay, here's the deal, guys. This is the game. You have to talk about content marketing, but you can't say the word. You can't, you can't actually use the, any words like that. You just have to talk about it in a roundabout way that never actually mentions the strategy or approach of content as an audience building exercise and a new approach to marketing. And it's, it, I just read this article and at the end I just go, I, I am, you know, it's like, what's that scene out of that movie? It's like, you know, <laughs> I am I am dumber for having read that. And, I, you know, God have mercy on your soul. What movie right? is it? And oh, I, that's such a, yeah. I, I can't remember. I can't remember which movie that is. Somebody movie. in the social media will, yeah, will, will, will remind us of the movie. But oh, that is, it's, it's just, and I'm going to go listen to the yeah. old school. That's it. <laughs> that's it. And so, you know, the. And it's. I'm going to go listen to the podcast. I'm going to go punish myself and listen to the podcast episode just to make sure. But this is exactly what I'm talking about. It's just I don't get it. I can't grok it. I can't understand why there is such a reluctance to actually talk about this as a marketing approach. There's just some weird block that these companies have about talking it almost, about I mean, as I'm reading, yeah, I'm saying with you, but as I'm reading this, I'm almost, let's make it so vague and confusing so that they need to call us for the answer. Because that's what they want. They want the CMO's business. Yeah. That's why Deloitte's doing this. So, yeah, right? That's it. Because you, know, so, you mean, read the bottom and you're like, what's the answer? Give me the answer. Yeah, right. Exactly. I can call right. for the answer. Exactly. Where's the pop-up? Yeah. Anyways. Yeah. This this is the, the conclusion of the article. This is a quote. This is a really good opportunity for brands to figure out how to manage risk and drive value for the consumer. Wow. That's so insightful. I'm so I'm so much better for having read that. You mean I I have to drive value for my consumer and manage risk as a marketing strategist? I'm 
what are you talking about? That's that's I'm shocking. I think isn't their term anyway, digital transformation? A little snarky about it. That's what they're pushing, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah, right. Something or something. Like yeah. You know. I'm sorry you had to go through that. That wasn't. That's all right. It's what I do. Need, it's what it's what I do. This. It's absolutely what I do. You do not need to read this article, ladies and gentlemen. You I will read, report back you to you on my, on my all the research. bad articles and report on them. I will take the bullets for all of you. You know how much bad? Yes. That's true. People don't realize how much bad content we have to go through to bring up the mediocre content that's talked about on this show. <laughs> <laughs> no, come on. Thanks, tell it. That's that's funny, and the reason it's funny it's is because true. it's true. It's true. It's uh, yeah. It's like because no, we usually get one or two really like, oh, I like this, and then like, oh, what about this one? Uh, I don't know. Let's right. do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, anyways, good show. Good show. Good show. What uh, what you got going on this week? Uh, what is that? Oh, my uh, my oldest uh, has fall break, so going to um, have a week. A little bit different than we've had over the past month with the empty nesters, but it's, it'll be fun. And uh, what, I'm I'm busy all day long, not really sure what I'm doing. Like you ever you get have you gotten okay. to that point? There you go. I'm, I'm I know. very busy. I, yes, trust me. Doing I'm, lots of things. Yep. Yeah. And not quite sure where it's headed. You will be told. You you will be told. <laughs> You will be, you will be directed. I, I have every have every confidence that you will be directed. All you need to do is just nod your head, say yes, and move yeah. along. What are you doing? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I got to go to Vegas. Oh, that's right. I'm not yeah. happy about it, but um, you know, but which, I'm going to which Vegas. Hotel, by the I'm way, I'm happy for the event. I'm happy to be speaking. I don't know some stupid um, hotel. I you know, it's not like the big one. Oh, it's not a, like the Bellagio a or uh, like. I think it's called the Westgate. Oh, is that, that's is that what it's called. It's not one of my favorites. Is that right? If it's the Westgate, that's where Barry Manilow's at right yeah. now. If it gives you any impression, that's 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 what it's called. It's called the Westgate. It's called the Westgate. I, are you saying I'm not going to? No, enjoy the Westgate. The Westgate. I believe is next. I literally to get the, in at dinner is, time is and next to the convention center. So that's that. That's exactly why I'm staying there. That's that's why. I, and I was told that I'm staying there. I was. I did not choose okay. that. Okay. But it, the good news is it's very very close to where you need to be. So there. Yeah, there that's the good news. Go. And I'm literally there. I get in at dinner time. I have my dinner. I go to bed. I wake up. I do my talk. Go to and downtown. Go. So it's you know. go to downtown. Go no, go do the no, zip line. No, thank you. All right. <laughs> no thanks. In the, in the next five years, you and I are going to Vegas. <laughs> together just you and I. <laughs> t- t- together we gotta go <laughs> <laughs> ladies and gentlemen before joe starts singing again we are signing off you want to get all the goodness of this podcast show notes or dive into any of the other 292 episodes and by the way our 300th is coming up we're going to do something special Ooh. i'm just teeing it up right now you're going to start to hear more and more about our 300th episodes uh just get on over won't you to our wonderful little website at thisoldmarketing.site that's thisoldmarketing.site and we want to thank the good folks at radix for powering our thisoldmarketing.site if you want your own .site domain get over to radix and get your own .site domain because a .site domain is for you Until we meet again, ladies and gentlemen, just remember, it's your story to tell. Tell it well. We'll see you next week on This Old Marketing.